Today's shop is Nuntet 59, and um, we actually pick up at the very top of Nuntet Amidalis, um very first word. Um, and just to remind us what we're discussing right now, we're talking about the Kohen Gadol when he got, he's done with doing the um, the uh, sprinkling inside. First he does the par, then he does the then he sets the seer, then he does the seer, then he comes out here and he does the par. Then I mean the par's blood has been on a uh, pedestal. Um, puts down the seer, picks up the par's blood, does the par's blood one in seven, does the seer's blood one in seven. It's different, by the way, to mind us from when there would be other cover notes that would be done on the inside, which also would have seven towards the parochas, but it wouldn't be one in seven. And then those cover notes, like the part for uh, when all of the shall sin, the coin and other would stand here. So here, you're she's standing here, standing more inward. So again, we have that idea, like the Christ seduction, obviously less intense, but be, you know, more inward, even if it's a boda on the parochas. And it would be one in seven, and not just seven wouldn't try to hit the parochas, but if he would, he would. Okay, and now we are coming to doing the Mizbeah Hazav. So first we have the debate about whether he would do the blood on the horns separately, um, or would he mix them? The Pesach says, um, Midama par umidama sa'ir, does that mean the two of them mixed, or does that mean that separately? Our mission assumes that they're mixed. So he's going to do the horns of the Mizbeah Hazav, which um, you do do by other korbanot that are brought on the inside, but then he's going to do seven on the top, which again is also unique to this. So in terms of doing these horns of the korbanot, there's two issues. One issue is that he stands in one place and just put it all around, it's only an ama by an ama. That's one question. That also affects which way his hand is moving, whether he's going to get blood on his sleeve. We'll talk about that later. And the other issue that we're discussing right now is which order he does the corners. Our Mishnah said that the order he did the corners was he starts in the northeast and he goes counterclockwise. That's classic of your normal movement is counterclockwise. We have a break, though, where Rabbi Akiva says you start in the southeast and go clockwise. So what's that about? So we don't know yet the difference between north and south. We'll get to that in a minute. But why to go clockwise rather than counterclockwise? And Gamar said, because really, you should be hitting, doing either, you know, either the northwest or the southwest. That's the one you encounter first. But since the Pesach says, Yatsa el Yatsa el we read that to mean not to, he has to leave a space. So he leaves the space between the two and goes out to an outer space and he starts out here. So you have to start on one of the east corners. But since you originally encountered the west corner, so you're <coughs> going to want to go back there to be the first one to go back to, because that's the one that you had encountered. You want to go back and take care of it. So if you do, if you're starting in the north, you start at this corner, northeast, and then you go back to the one you missed, and that's your classic counterclockwise position. And if you start in the south, like Rabbi Akiva, I mean in the southeast, like Rabbi Akiva in the south, then you're going to go back to the southwest, and that will be your clockwise position. So those are the two opinions. Everybody agrees you go back to the corner you missed. That leads to a difference of clockwise or counterclockwise, and the debate boils down to why, if you go, go to the north, why would you start in the north rather than starting in the south? Okay, Rabbi Yossi Aglili is the one, by the way, who's the author of our Mishnah, who says you start in the north. Yes? Yeah, but he could just turn around. There's no yatsa. No, I understand. I, Michael, I cannot defend every drush of Chazal. That's the way they're reading it. Okay, so now let's top, pick at the top of Nuntet Amadalas, the Ibai Sema. So that's one way to explain why, um, you know, why, um, why Rabbi Akiva goes clockwise. 
because um, you have to re- go back and hit the one you missed. If you want, you could say, Were we to hold that you walk around, um, you actually are walking around this Mizbeach, even though it's only like a foot and a half by a foot and a half, and I'm a by Nama, but you would actually walk around it to put the blood. Nobody would disagree that the same way in the Azara you go counterclockwise, you turn to the right, inside you go counterclockwise as well. Everybody would agree you go counterclockwise, even Rebbe Akiva. So it's not about going back to the one you missed, Normally, you would go counterclockwise. That would be true if you were walking around it. The Here's a debate. Mar Maybe Rabbi Akiva, who says clockwise, holds that you're doing it. You're standing in one place. You're not actually walking around. If you walk around, you walk counterclockwise. But here, you're standing in one place. So therefore, you can do it clockwise. Umar Savar HaKafa Regal. And the other says, no, you walk around, and by, you, you go by foot, and therefore you do the normal counterclockwise. By the way, what this doesn't explain is, even if Rabbi Akiva says you stand in one place and you don't, you're not, you don't have to do this idea of going to your right and going counterclockwise, it doesn't explain why he doctored would want you to go clockwise. So that's still not clear. What but do you mean standing in one place? Meaning, if he's here, is he walking around and he's there? The whole Mizbeach is a foot and a half. Or is he standing in one place and putting it at the four corners? So that's and that's one of the questions which is debated in the Mishnah. We don't know where these where these positions hold on that issue. So what Mar is saying is if you're walking around it, then yes, you go your normal counterclockwise. Rabbi Akiva maybe holds that you're just standing here and just putting it around. If you're just putting it around, you could go in the opposite direction as well. Again, that explains why you could go in the opposite direction. It doesn't say why you would go in the opposite direction. But the Gemara does point out that that might impact this question of why are you not always just, you know, going to the, um, you know, going to the right. So it's not a okay. hakafa of walking, it's a hakafa of... Yeah, just Bring placing like, things and right, like, exactly, exactly. So normally we talk about moving to the right, turning as you're walking. Okay. The Ebay Sema, um, okay, and if you want you could say, No, you know what, everybody agrees you stand in your place and you place it at the four corners and stand in your place, you don't walk around. This is a debate. That the same way when you walk around, you walk to your right, you walk counterclockwise. Same when you just put things around and you know around in the four corners. And the other says, no, you don't. Again, just because you don't doesn't explain why you do the opposite, but it allows for the opposite. Okay. So that's a couple of different ways of understanding what this issue is about, why we, don't, we haven't explained the north-south debate, but we've given a couple of reasons why Rabbi Akiva might allow you to go clockwise here rather than your standard counterclockwise. So now the Gemara says, the Sava Rabbi Yossi Aglili Biyad? Is this really true that Rabbi Yossi Aglili, according to your last explanation, everybody would agree you stand in your place, and the question is, do you, even if you're standing in your place, do you have to follow the same idea of counterclockwise? So the Gemara challenges whether this is a viable explanation. The other ones work, but can this work? That Rabbi Yossi Aglili would also say you, you stand in one place and just do it around and just move around with your hand? But Hamid Iktani Seifa, the end of our Mishnah says, right, because remember, Rabbi Yossi Aglili is the author of our Mishnah, because our Mishnah said you start in the northeast and go counterclockwise. That's Rabbi Yossi Aglili, as we find out in the Bright the same as Rabbi Yossi Aglili's position. Now, the end of the, our Mishnah said, Rabbi Eliezer Omer bin Komo Haya Omer Machata. Rabbi Eliezer argued on the Tanakam of our Mishnah and said you would not walk around, you'd stand in your place and do it. And that led to a difference whether you would move your finger up or down. So the Gemara says, Michlal, from that it's implicit, the Tanakama Losirulay, that the Tanakama does not hold that you would stand in your place. That's Rabbi Eliezer, the Tanakama holds you'd walk around. And the Tanakama, we 
know based on the brightness of Yosia Glili. Ela Machvar to Kedushni Meikara. Fine, it's better like we said before. Mar Savar that maybe Rebbe Akiva holds it by the hand and therefore he can do it clockwise. He doesn't have to go to the right. But Mar Savar clearly from the implication of our Mishnah holds Hakafa Beregel that you walk around on the foot. Okay? So basically we know from our Mishnah that Yosef Lili says you walk around. It's only Rebbe Akiva says you stand in your place. And that's fine. But Yosef Lili anyway is saying you go counterclockwise is saying you do the standard movement. The question is explaining why Rabbi Akiva has you going clockwise, and we've given a couple of answers. Number one is the halacha of going to your right is only in the Azara, not in the Heichal, which is very strange. The other answer is, is that here you, you have to go this way first in order to get the one you missed. That seems to be a very attractive explanation that explains Dafka why you're going clockwise. And the third answer we're saying is that he holds you standing in your place, and since you're standing in your place and only placing it with your hand, you're allowed to go clockwise, you don't have to go counterclockwise. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Um, now, Now, Rashi takes out, and the Gret takes out the Ibais Ema. Because, right, um, um, that this actually is just like explaining what the issue of the Yad and Beregel is. So here, anyway, Mar Savas, take out those words, Ibais Ema Bahakamisuki. Here's the explanation of why you would debate whether you walk around or whether you just stand in your place. The same way when it says put the blood around the corners of the, the horns of the outer altar, it means you walk around. So when it says you should put the blood of the blood at the horns of the altar of the inner altar, so it means walk around. It's the, it's the exact parallel. You walk around one, you walk around the other, and that's why you would walk around. Umarasav, and the one that says you stand in your place, which is Rabbi Eliezer of our Mishnah, and now we're claiming it's Rabbi Akiva, the other one would hold, no, the entire Mizbeach, inner Mizbeach, is the size of one of the horns of the outer Mizbeach, an Amma by an Amma. It's a little higher. The outer Mizbeach is an Amma by an Amma by an Amma. There's an Amma by an Amma by two Ammos. But the entire sort of, you know, length and width is exactly the size of the horn of the outer altar. So the same way when you're at a horn of an outer altar, you stand by the horn and you place wherever you need to place. This whole thing is like a horn. So you can stand in one place and put up the four corners. Okay, so that's the debate of whether you walk around or stand in one place. Do we treat it like a horn of the outer altar or do we treat it like the outer altar itself? And it's four horns, you walk around it the same way you walk around the outer altar. Okay. Don't you think that, I mean, I... Like there are deeper ideas here embedded in this type of right. It's interesting. Yeah. It's like either the inner when you the deeper you penetrate the mikdash, yeah. the more independent the identity of that environment. Or no, it's linked. It's like a horn right. of. You know what I mean? There's yeah. No, I think that that's. No, I think that that's. A, you know, that that is a very good point. You know, I do think that calling it the whole inner altar, the, the enemy's bay off like a horn of the outer altar, a little bit obviously downplays it. It's like you know, here you you know, here you are. You're in the you know inner sanctum, and this whole thing. Yes, like one of the horns of the outer one. But it's interesting to think about. And you're right, calling it no. It's just like it's a, by parallel. You have an outer altar. You have an inner altar. You walk around the outer. You walk around the inner. So it's not you know, it's not down grading it oh it's just like one of the horns but you know it's interesting to think about and this is um, to take your point further is that this is when it's functioning in terms of the place to put the blood 
right? When it's functioning as a place to burn the Torah, you know, that's different. Then we'll give it its like own independence. But here it's functioning very much in sort of the blood kapara role, which is clearly the primary role of the outer altar. So here you can maybe say that in that capacity, it's less like the horn of the outer altar. It's an extension, <coughs> right? And I think that what the point though makes is a good one. Like, do you see putting the blood here as somehow some intrinsic blood kapara role for this? Would you say, no, the blood kapara is stuff that's done out here. This is ketores. And the few times that this is going to function for the placement of blood, it's sort of like, you know, a subsidiary, an offshoot of the outer one. It's like a horn of the outer one. So I think thinking about it in those terms is, yes, is very powerful about how we think about that role. Well, you're just occasionally getting a glimpse of what the outer one is really all about. Um, you mean that you're in penetrating deeper oh so instead of giving you a sense that even when you're on the outer it's, a, it's, a, it's thinking about as if you were inside that's right that's a nice point right that's like right right the focus on the blood and getting inside and focusing that's a nice point as well okay so now we go on um, okay Tanya, so Michael was mentioning before, it's fascinating when there's debates of what really happened. Like, did the blood really, was it really placed on the parochas or not? Did he see the parochas? So listen to this. Tanya, we told him the bright stuff. Amar Rabbi Yishmael, said Rabbi Yishmael, Shnei kohanim gidolim nishtayru b'mikdash rishon. At the Chorban Habayisa Rishon, two coins of those were, were, were remained, which is also, all the, by the way, fascinating, because we're supposed to have had very few coins of those in the Mikdash Rishon. We're supposed to have like a regular rotation in the Mikdash Shemi. Okay, but in the Mikdash Rishon, when it was destroyed, there are two coins of those that were left over after the Chorban Habayis. Okay, Zeromer, this one says, Biyadi Hikafti. Uh, when I did it, I walked the Avodah Yom Kippur I walked around on my I, I didn't walk around I just circled around with my hand I stood in my place I walked around by my you know by foot each one gives a basis the reason I walked around was because the way you do it on the outside you do it on the inside and if you walk around the outside you walk around the inside the other one backed himself the whole thing is like one horn and therefore I'm stood in my place so by the way it's fascinating when do we ever have first of all like you know reports we have enough challenge having reports from Mikdashani with Midos and Tamid and the whole thing when do we have reports from Mikdash Rishon and to, you know to have like a history of those reports and then number one and number two to actually be back and get based on Tzukim and have the Korning Gidolim and it's almost like the Korning Gidolim are just sort of yeah I decided to do it this way I figured you know it's like it's almost like a much more figure it out for yourself it doesn't come with that sense of like the rabbinic tradition so actually the Rishash asks about this because he's also bothered because there's another Gemara that says that there was never any debate about anything um, except for whether you did smicha on a korban you know on um, when, when you brought it on um, on Yantiv. Um, so um, and the um, you know that, but until then there was never debate until like the period of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel so he says, how could you say that? Here this is being debated. Already goes back to Bayes Rishon. It's early than all the other debates. The only other debate we have is by the Zugot, which is already early by, you know, mid by Shani. And that's about Smith. And that's supposed to be the first debate. So what's going on here? So his answer is very interesting. I'll read his answer, and it actually echoes the language here of the fact that they're just quoting Sukkim. He says, um, this is the Rishash. He says, um, One minute. Who was her shot? Hold on. 
They do it for the Marsha. Hold on. Where was it? Where did I find it? Uh, one more second. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. It was, I keep on getting the mix because they're all in small print. It was a Tosis Yashanim. If you look at um, you know, about in the, obviously the small print here on the right-hand margin, Tosis Yashanim, you go down about ten lines. Snake on Gedolim Yishtairu. He says, Harshawi, the Habsarach bays its Muramina, Kimi Mos Moshe Vashemes Yosef Ben Yoezer, Loisha Machlokas Yisrael, so the only earliest debate we find is the question about the Snicha on Korbanot that are brought on Yantiv. Um, at the end of the second base on Mikdash, right? So the earliest debate we find is like mid to late second base on Mikdash. And here we're saying that there was a debate at the end of the first base on Mikdash. Because their hearts had become you know, sort of uh, narrow, meaning that they, you know, they were not as, uh, it, you know, they, that they started losing their uh, their tradition. The ilu hacha mashma ifluguba mikdash rishon. There's already debate some days from mikdash rishon. Iachavu biyado beregel. Finally, I'm going to talk to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, "Really, the Shema." So the first answer is the Shemim hayubayim leminyan. Now there's a question of the years so or something. Hayubiyachovim lahaskim ala emes. Maybe they would have come to, had they actually taken a vote, they would have had a conclusion. So it wasn't really a debate, it was just they never got around to voting on it. No. Enam, he gives the second answer, which is more interesting. Maybe, really, either way is fine. So what it's saying is, maybe actually, maybe not a focus. One says do it this way, one says do it that way, but at the end of the day, nobody is saying it's possible the other way. So that's why they're also quoting Sukkot. Yeah, I figured I'd do it like this. I figured that, you know, it's comparable to walking around the other Yeah, I figured I'd stand in my place just like one Karen. So it's actually oh, quite... Yeah, that's really Jewish. <laughs> really, you know, <laughs> to be very pluralistic. Yeah. yeah, right. So I thought that that was fascinating, the idea that they have this land-standing debate, but also I mean, here they are quoting Sukkot, I mean, you know, but to reframe it as like a question of preference rather than actually a sort of a real debate of one way is valid, one way is invalid. Okay, let's take a look back at the Gemara. The evidence only at the end, you know? Like, you think, like, oh, you know, like, I do it because I heard I have a tradition of this coin battle. This is what you do it. They say, no, it's a great sukkah. And they're bringing the, bring the, the prior people, right. you know, all the way after, at the end, after they weren't ready to try to figure it out when they go. I know, we're going to Okay, but the other one we've been, now we have not discussed the difference about why start in, why start in the north, why start in the south. We're gonna get, we're gonna get back to that. Okay, we will get back to that. Rabbi Eliezer Omer bin Komor Haya Omer Mechateh. Okay, so Rabbi Kugiezer said he would stand in his place. So this is again continuing that debate. So the issue is not just would you walk around or stand, but if you would walk around. Again, the assumption is that when you're doing it on the horn right near you, you can't do it with your down up with your finger this way because somehow that causes the blood to run down. So if you're right in front of you, you have to do up down. But when you're far away from you, you do down up. Okay, so there was debates in the mission whether you did down up or up down. Um, and part of that debate was, oh, did I say that wrong? Oh, I think I said that wrong. Hold on. Um, no, 
There it says actually you did up down. One minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said that right. No, one minute. <laughs> Hold on. Well, last time I thought you were you were wrong. One minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right. I'm right. When it's in front of you, you do it from up down. Okay, when it's in front of you, do it from up down. The assumption is that if it's in front of you and doing it down up, the blood's going to run down your sleeve. So if you're directly in front of it, if you say you walk around, so you're directly in front of each corner, then you're going to do from up down on the corners, on the horns. If you're standing in one place, then the one that's in front of you, you do up down. But the one that's a far, far, but if it's further away, you're not concerned. It's not like you're trying to do it like this, right? You're not concerned, and presumably down up is an easier movement. So there was one debate of whether you would walk around and stand, but connected to that is, if you're walking around, everything is in front of you, you do up-down. If you're standing, the things that are far away from you, you do down-up. That was the debate in the Mishnah between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim. So let's take a look at the Gemara. Hey, as doing that, you're turning your hand over. You can do this and this. Yeah, the assumption is... Palm up, palm down is a whole different discussion. Right, I agree with you. I don't know why somehow the assumption is that if you're doing down up, you're doing it with your palm this way, and if you're doing it up down, you're doing it that way. Somehow we're assuming that, and then that informs the other discussion, but I don't know why we're assuming that. Okay. Our Mishnah that says that you would walk around, and therefore, since you're walking around, everything would be up-down, is Rabbi Yehuda. The time, uh, I'm sorry. Our Mishnah that explains that according to Rabbi Eliezer, you'd stand in your place, that's Rabbi Yehuda's version of Rabbi Eliezer. Now we're going to see a debate of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi, and Rabbi Yehuda, what Rabbi Eliezer said. The time is on the Brisa, Rabbi Meir Omer. According to Rabbi Meir, here's Rabbi Eliezer's position. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, bin Koma Omer Mechatei, you would stand in your place, Okay, um, that's saying we all agree that Rabbi Elazar, you would stand in your place. Now, how would you position? How would you do it? Up, down, or down, up? And everything you would do up, down. So not that you would do everything down, up, which is what our mission says. No, everything you would do up, down. Except for the one that's at the at the catty corner, diagonal, because that's the one furthest away from you that you have to reach the furthest. When you have to reach very far, it's a lot. It's harder to go like this because you to keep it all on the horn. You want it to go not, not just the tip of your finger. You want everything to be on the horn. So this way is moving it away. It's easier to go like that. Uh, so the one that's far away that you have to stretch for that you do down up. But everything else you do up down. Okay, that's uh, that's Rebbe Meir's position. Rebbe Yehuda Omer. Rebbe Yehuda says no. Rebbe Eliezer Omer bin Koma Omer Machatei. You'd stand in your place. Everything would be down up. Except the one directly in front of you. That you go from above to below. In order so your garments should not become soiled. So basically, according to Rabbi Yehuda, the basic assumption is presumably that it's always easier to go down to um, to go, or uh, it's always uh, you know e- one minute. It's always easier to go down up. This is always an easier movement, especially if things are away from you. It's easier to go down up. The only place you wouldn't do it is right in front of you, because that'll again get the blood running into your sleeve. So that one you do up down. So he says you default down up, except for the one right in front of you. Okay, as opposed to Rebbe Meir's version of Rebbe Eliezer, which says you default um, you default up down. Right, you default up down, except for the one that is most distant from you. That one we need to allow you to do down up because of the stretch. Um, all right, I got you're all going to be tested on that later. <laughs> what do they do? They, um, 
It's a good question. What would they do generally in the Mizbeach Achitan? I guess, according to this, everybody assumes that the one directly in front... Well, no. Yeah, everybody assumes directly one directly in front of you, you would do down up. No, you do up down. Yeah, but every horn would be directly in front of you. Everybody agrees the horn directly in front of you, you would do up down. Okay? Yeah. Just so you have, let, let's make it clear. If you're walking in front and you're standing in front of, it, of each corner, right? So there, everybody agrees you go, right? This is the one that you walk in front, you walk, right? Everybody agrees you go, you go, you go up, you go up, down, okay? Because that's just fine. It's not going to get your garment, because other way it could get your garment dirty, and up, down, anyway, is presumably considered to be a preferred movement, going down, okay? Mechate viori. Okay, so that's everybody that you go up, down, it's just the one in front of you. And the base is that you're only standing here, right? So according to, according to Rebbe, according to Rebbe, Yehuda's version of Rebbe Eliezer, all of these, I guess because they're dis, he says, um, all women, all of these you would do, you would do down, up, okay? I guess because it's distant, it makes it easier to go down, up, okay? All of these you would do down, up because it's distant. But the one directly in front of you, we have to do up, down, you, you, you have to do up down. Everybody agrees on that. That's that's Rebbe. That's Rebbe. What's the thing? Rebbe Yehuda's version of Rebbe Eliezer. Okay. Rebbe Meir says so. He says you default with down up. That's an easier movement, except for the one in front of you. Okay. Rebbe Meir says the opposite. Rebbe Rebbe Meir says the opposite. Rebbe Meir says not the opposite. He says you default with up down. Okay. That's the one that you default with, except for this one. This one we let you do down up because it's most distant. So they agree that the one in front of you is up down. They agree the one that's most distant is down up, right? So the debate is these two, which are not as distant. Those two, do we prefer you doing up down because, or do we, would we, or do we say it's easier to do down up and we let you do down up? But everybody agrees that when you're directly in front of you, you always do up down and therefore to answer Michael's question, when you're out here and it's directly in front of you, you would do up down. Okay? So again, like one of the other things we just said a minute you know, whether you walk around or you stay in the corners, eh, whatever's easier for you. If you see over here, <laughs> right, right. Would anybody say that the evidence wouldn't be good? Presumably not. Okay. I'm trying to get a visionary. I see up, down is this, and down up is this. Right. right. For some reason, Rashi is assuming. Rashi, it's not in the Gemara. Rashi is assuming that the, because to explain why the down up makes you get it onto your clothes. So Rashi assumes that if you're going to do down up, it's going to be with, with your palm up. That somehow the right, that somehow like the uh, your your palm is facing in the direction that the blood is moving. Why that's the assumption, I don't know. Okay, moving on. He's a So they sprinkle. Now you did the four corners. Now everybody agrees. Our mission has it that you've mixed the blood already. But even according to those that said you kept the blood separate for the four corners, everybody agrees. But now that you get to the top, since the puzzle just says visa, what is it? Uh, it says and then it says what is it? Uh, so there, by now, everybody agrees that the seven is the dam mixed together. Now, where do you do? So maybe stam on the side of it. But it says the kiro, you need matayer, and Michael correctly points out that the Mishnah used the language kiro shemizbeach, which is the word juxtaposed there. But still, the psukim are not clear where you do the hazar. So let's take a look at, and the Mishnah isn't so clear. Well, let's take a look. My kiro, what is this purity of the mizbeach? I'm a rabbi bar of shila, pal gave the mizbeach. 
So he said, you know, it's fascinating that still by the time of Rav Barshila, there was a, a, bit, a question where you would do it. He said, not on the top of the Mizbeach, on the half of the Mizbeach. Tiaro, in the Mishnaic language, maybe he's also claiming in biblical language, means middle, the middle of the altar, on the side. Why is that the side? Ami Inchi, well, that's how Rosh explains. No, because out here when you do blood, you know, the focus is the top half, the bottom half, and it's all the side. So there seems to be an assumption here too that it's the side, at least the assumption Rashi makes, right? I don't know. I mean, here, uh, yeah, let's take a look. Rashi says it means half, you could say half the middle of the roof, but Rashi assumes he means more similar, and this gets to the issue of making it comparable to the outer altar, the half of the wall, midpoint on the wall. So let's take a look. he says, Kirami Inchi, like people say, Tir Tira. So Tira is the word for like midday. It has become midday. So Sohar, right? Saharayim, Tohar, right? Sohar, Tohar. So it means the middle day. Have a and that's midday. So as opposed to saying that it means somehow light or brightness, he assumes, or maybe he does originally mean that etymologically, but then it becomes to mean middle, midday. So if the Mishnah says Tohar, maybe not that's what the Pusk means. But with the Mishnah, it means the middle of the Mizbeach. Meisve, I'll ask you on this. We have a bright, a Tosefta. Peshumazeh, when you do the sprinkling, Enumazeh lo agabiyah not on top of the ashes. Velo agabiyah not on top of the coals. Elchoteh gecholim elafeyelach, you shovel those coals, you move the coals to each side. Umazeh, you make a little kriyas yamsuf. We're talking about the hazah on the Mizbeach hazahav on Yom Kippur. So you would not... Put it, so it's clear, it is assuming you do it on the top of the altar. And so you're doing it on the top, but don't do it with coals or ashes, you know, where you're doing it. It's clear away a path. Basically, do a little clear fiancef, push the ashes to both sides, make a, make a pure roof in the middle, and sprinkle it on that roof, on the, on the uncovered roof on the middle. So it's very clear, you, it's very clear you're doing it on keshu mazeh. So it's clear you do it on the roof. El Amar so fine. So now we're having Rabbi Barashila reverse himself. Al giluya demizbeach, on the exposed part of the altar, but it's exposed meaning that normally it's covered. So that means the roof, which is now being exposed. Shedichsiv, uke'etem hashamayim latohar. And like the vision of heaven for purity, so now there's this purity and you're doing it. By the way, one cannot but help to think about the... Uh, significance of quoting this pasuk here because it is a whole idea of again this encounter of God the intimacy of God that we had all that power metaphor before that erotic metaphor of almost like the sexual act and that sense of the intimacy going into the Kodesh Kedashim into the you know innermost chamber and here it's another place where the Torah is like almost the most explicit place in the Torah or most graphic place in the Torah in terms of that encounter and experience with God so the sense here that some of the exposing of the Mizbeach, you know, a sense of uncovering and exposing and seeing nakedness, I mean, that evokes that issue before, but also that intimacy and actually having that direct encounter, I think it's very significant, the quote of that Pasuk here. The rest of the Pasuk says they sat and they ate. And they ate, that's right, which you wouldn't be doing on Yom Kippur. The blood, seven sprinklings of the mixture of the blood. Uh, that's the okay. revealing and then sprinkling blood. <laughs> that is true. The other part was more about the Kintoreth, which we even quoted the public Tzor Hamor Zolili, you know, fragrance in that encounter in the room and so on. Right here, the yeah. blood is yeah. like, like that's that. true. That is true. It, that is a little bit more jarring. Tanya, we've done a Omer. Bitsat Tzvoni Hunotein. 
he would put it on the northern part of the Mizeach. Reb Yossi Omer, he put it on the, thank you, on the, uh, now double testing, he put it on the southern side of the Mizeach. The Maikamiflagi, and now we're going to get partly to, to this issue here, right, about where you would be coming out, in the north or in the south. When you finish your circuit, where are you putting it? In the north or the south? So really that's the question, where are you when you finish your circuit? Did you start in the south and then here, and then you're going to put it in the northern part of the Mizeah? Or did you start in the north and then here, you're going to put it in the southern? So this debate is linked to the debate of Rebbe Yitzhak and Rebbe Yitzhak whether you start in the north and start in the south. So now we get to find out what that debate is about. Okay, so let's take a look. Rebbe Yitzhak and Rebbe Yitzhak and Rebbe Yitzhak what are they debate? Marasavar Pitcha B'Darum Kai, the opening is in the south. Marasavar Pitcha B'Tzafon Kai, that the opening is in the north. And therefore what? So, you remember, and that's why I do this, if you assume that there was two openings, right, you would come out here, right? So if you come out here, yes, so, and then, well, you come out here, you stand here, you do the sprinkling, but still, you're presumably, you're fundamentally at the south side. So now you're going to go and continue, and that's going to be a Rebiativa. That's going to wind you up starting at the southeast. But is that clear? You come out here, you do your sprinkling, then you go here, you start at the southeast, you start at the southeast, you end at the northeast, so then the seven is going to be at the end of the circuit in the north. Whereas if you held that there was only one curtain, so then you came out here, then that's going to get you do the sprinkling here, starting like with Yosef Lili in the northeast, and that explains why he starts in the northeast, then you end here, and then you do your seven in the south. Okay, so the debate of whether you southeast or northeast, the debate of Rabbi Yosef Lili and Rabbi Kiva is the debate whether there was one curtain or two curtains, whether you exited in the north or exited in the south. And then, wherever you ended your circuit, that's where you would do the sprinklings, and that's then also the debate of whether the seven would be done on the north part of the Mizbeach, of the roof of the Mizbeach, or the south part of the roof I of the Mizbeach. I always imagine as either way, they're trying to do it in the middle to recreate the uh, experience of the oath between the Badim and the Amor. Yeah, I was wondering about that too, that even if you come out on the north or the south, Presumably, when you're standing, you're standing in the middle. Yeah. But maybe you still have a have a you know inclination to go back to the direction you came from. Okay. So, uh, are, are you yes. May not be doing the hazaot, or are you not certain? Because you you, what? Said, cause you you made some hazaot there. On no, the I'm willing to concede that they did it. I mean, I agree they probably did it directly in front of the aro. But still, I think that there's a bias towards the direction you came from. Okay. So let's go. Let's go back. Um, okay. So one minute. All right. But the arrow's behind the barocas in the area in a different room, basically. Um, yes. But still, when you were out here on the parochas, presumably you did it to negate the Aron, I would imagine. You take a few steps and get yourself centered. I would imagine. Okay? Um, fine. So, okay, one minute. Um, one minute. Fine. Okay, so let's keep on going. Um, okay, so the rest is like this. Um, okay. Everybody agrees that where you finish your circuit, that's where you do the seven on the roof. <coughs> so if you finish in the north, you start in the south, you finish in the north, you do the seven on the north. If you start in the north, you end in the south, you do the seven in the south. Everybody agrees you do the seven where you finish your circuit. Why is that? 
My time, what's the I'm a The verse says, You shall purify it and sanctify it. The place where you sanctified it, where you just finished sanctifying it. There you shall purify it. And again, one wonders if it's using the word Tohar as it did in the Mishnah, that Tiaro specifically is used to identify the top of the Mizbeach and doing it the seven at the top. So the two, and also, so where you finish the Kicho, also you have to stick in the word finished. Where you finish doing the, 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 the sanctifying, the circuit, there you do the next stage as well. But it okay. means by the Kicho is actually the Sivuvim. The Sivuvim with the, cor- with the horns and the Tiaro is the roof. Okay? So, and somehow, so again, if you want to somehow explain why is Kedusha associated with that and Tahara associated with that, right, again, I'm not so sure the Gemara has developed that. It might be focusing more on just the word TR as like Tohar Shelmiz Beach, you know, focusing on the roof. But yes, it is interesting to think in terms of the Psukim, the double focus of Kedusha and Tahara. But they're all, okay. also, aren't all three of these words synonyms, Kitui, Tahara, and Kedush? Well, like, uh, um, well, okay. Yeah, in a way. So there's that dimension. Yes, right? but I think chitui is right. So we tend to associate with schatas and sin. But yes, chitui does mean to purify, to cleanse. Um, tahara, um, tahara is I think more closely related to chitui. Um, chitui might be cleansing. Tahara is what results from the cleansing, right? To bring a state of purity, as opposed to chitui, which is like removing of the dirt, of the stain. Tahara is purifying. Where, but ta- kedusha is different. And I think it is interesting to talk about, like, the focus of the psukim and achrimos is about mitumot and being and being mitaher. So the inter the interplay of kedusha and tahara is a, is a discussion to be had. That's the psukim. verb they use to wash his feet, right? Right, lekadesh. That's true. Right. That's, that's what I meant. Right. Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so that's in general an important question of the relationship of Tara and Kedusha. Okay. So now you're done. You did your circuit. You did your, you did your corners. You did your seven. You walk out here and you spill it at the southern, at the, at the western base. Okay, there's a base of the outer Mizbeach, a protruding base, only that went like this. Okay, covered those corners. But primarily it was in the west and the south and in these, and these two and, and these two corners. So here it says you came out here and you spilled it at the western base. But it says that the blood of a normal sacrifice, when you did on the outer altar, you spill at the southern base. And the basic difference is, as you see, it's the first base that you hit. When you come out here, you hit the west, so you spill at the western base. When you come down here from doing the sacrifice, so you've been walking around doing the sacrifice, you're facing the southern base, and that's where you spill the remnant of the blood. So let's take a look. So, uh, all the remnants of blood you shall spill. And when you come out, you spill it there first. Now, Rashi says that that's actually not the Pasuk that we're quoting. We're actually quoting the Pasuk at because it says the um the Kol Damar Yapar Yisrael. Hold on, Tosos says. Um, yeah, if you look at Tosos, the Amar Kra, the top Tosos, El Yisod Mizbach Haola Asher Petach Ola Moed. Okay, that it's not about the one you hit first, because as we're going to see, it's not clear to us that principle as we're about to discuss in a minute. But it says the pasuk is clear that it says you spill it on the base of Petach Omoed, that is by the face of Omoed, and that is the pasuk by it says by um, by in Achrimos, right? Not Achrimos. It says it by in Vayikra Dalit. Right? What does it say there? It says 
uh, that's by one of the inner cows. That's not by that's not by Yom Kippur, but it is by the Par Halandava, right? One of the few sacrifices that is done in here, and it says in Vayikudal it says that Kol Adam Apar Yishvocha Yisweres it. It says Dalit. So this is, you leave the Olamoed, this is Parhalandavar, in the West. And we assume that that's true about other things that are done inside, that's true here on Yom Kippur as well. Okay? Dalid, I don't know, Al or something, I think. Okay. Um, so anyway, it says, by the end there, by the Parhalandavar. Okay. And the outer altar, things that were done in the outside, it would be on the southern base. Tanarabanan. Yisod HaMizbeach. So it says, you shall fill it by the base of the altar. Is that Yisod Dromit? That's the southern altar. Southern space. Ata Omer Yisod Dromit, the southern base. So ain't El Yisod Ma'aradi. Maybe it's the western base. Amarta Yilamei Yiratomin Abkevesh Yitziatomin Aichal. And here's why you see, we, it wasn't clear this principle of the first one you bump into, because that would have answered our question, why one is west and one is south. But we don't know that principle yet. So let's learn out going down from the ramp from coming out of the Heichal. The same way from when you come out of the Heichal, it says Petach Olamoed. So, and from that we learn West. Once we learn West based when you leave the Heichal, we can infer the rule. What's the rule? The Samachlo. It's the one that is most proximate. The Ezeb, which is this. The Western. So once we know West by leaving, we can assume the rule is proximate. So once that's true, when you come down from the ramp or when you do anything on the outer altar, whether it's on the ramp or on the floor, for some quote, it's the one that's most nearby, it would be the southern one. That's the rule. The me. that's the southern. So we learn that principle approximate from the case of leaving the Hecham. Tanya, we turn to Bryce, the Rebbe Yishmael Omer, actually no, both of them are on the western base. Okay, which makes sense. Why not just learn from the case of leaving the Heichal, the principle of West? Yeah. Maybe that's the principle. Maybe right. not the principle of proximate. The Shimba Yuchayomir is there you so dromi. They're both set. Now that's a little bit bizarre. So Bishlema Rebbe Shmuel, we get Rebbe Shmuel because Savi Lamit Tosminim Farash that he says you learn what what's not explicit from what is explicit, but rather than learning the principle of the proximate, the principle <coughs> that you learn is the West. So the same way here says Pesachomoy is the West. It'll always be the western base. Yeah. That we get. That the makes inner sense. The sanctuary is Koveya. Right. Ella, Rabbi Shimbar Yochai, my timer. Why would Rabbi Shimbar Yochai say it's always the south? The Pesach says, Pesachol Moed. So shouldn't it be the west? So the Gemara says, uh, my timer. So, Amaravasi Kasavar Pitcha Bedaram Kai. Ah. No, yes, it does say the one you hit. But he just happens to hold that the opening here hits the south of the Mizeach. Oh, the that the Mizeach is here. So that when you leave, when you, when you we walk out of here, you actually hit the southern base. That's the one you confront. And that's why he says, and therefore both of them are the southern base. Okay. So now the Gemara says like this. Is that the same that the position of the Mizeach? Yeah, exactly. It's a question where the position of the Mizeach is. Okay. So, right. So, Tana the Bey Rebbe Shmuel. Now, the house of Rebbe Shmuel taught Bid Rebbe Shimon, Bid Bey Rebbe Shimon Yochai. So, in the house of Rebbe Shimon Yochai, who was the next generation after Rebbe Shmuel, when he taught over the teaching of Rebbe Shmuel, remember Rebbe Shmuel said that they're both in the West. When he Rebbe Shimon Yochai taught it over, he said Zevazei Yisod Romit. Rebbe Shmuel had had transformed in the retelling of Reb Shimba Yochai to be Reb Shimba Yochai's position. Okay? Reb Shimba Yochai said south, Reb Shmuel said west, 
when, that, when the yeshiva Reb Shimba Yochai taught over the teaching of Reb Yishmael, they said that he said south. The simancha, the way to remember it is, mashchua gavre legavre, legavra. The, the, the people drew the person. Like the, the school that came after Reb Yishmael sort of drew Reb Yishmael's position to be like theirs, okay? He sort of so converted him to be saying their position. All right. So you know what they say. What happens in the meeting is determined by who keeps the notes. All right. So they both... Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> so if you take a look, Rashi... Rashi, if you take a look, Rashi tempers it a little bit. So Rashi says, second line from the bottom, Today's Midrash Yosheb Shimba Yechai Ha Yoshoni Mishnas Rebbe Shmael V'gor Simba Zevet Sayyid Rami Lomar Chazerbo Rebbe Shmael So they weren't just like... They weren't, they weren't actually, you know, perverting it. They were saying that he actually had changed his position. Um, that was their tradition that he had changed his position. Okay. Now, the blood, whether the blood was poured, poured at the west when you did the Avodah of Yom Kippur, whether it was poured at the south on a normal case, all the blood after it hit the base would run off into some trough, right? There would there'd be some type of a trough that it would all run into and that trough would take it out, you know, here, here's your Harabayas, whatever. Anyway, it would take it out and empty into the Wadi, into Nachal Kishon, where it would be sold. Into Kidron, what was that? Kidron, excuse me. Right, 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 right. Okay. Tana Rabbanah. Okay, and it would be sold, and before it was sold, there would be a problem of Mi'ila. Okay, because, so, Tana Rabbanah, Rabbi Tzvah. Molim B'damin. There's a Mi'ila problem with blood. Now, Rebbe Meir, that's what Rebbe Meir says, Rebbe Shimon. The Chachamim only, but the Chachamim say, Eimolimhem, there's no Me'ila by blood. Ah, you see that? You thought we weren't going to finish today. Okay, calm down. So, there's two questions to ask about the blood. One is after it's been sprinkled. Then the reason to say there's no Me'ila, right, misuse of hetfish, is because the mitzvah's done. So once the mitzvah's done, there's no problem of Me'ila. It might be rabbinic problems, it's not a biblical problem, and so on. But this statement is categorical, Eimolimhem, Eimolimhem. So it's not only after the mitzvah. Those that say and will say even before you sprinkle the blood, there's no mitzvah, which is shocking. All parts of the korban, there's mitzvah, except for the one part of the korban that is, that is mahaper. That there's no mitzvah for. You don't okay? have to read it categorically. Well, the Gemara is going to. So let's keep on reading. Right. Okay. Atan says the Gemara lo pligi elamidarabanan. Even those that say there's mitzvah, says the Gemara, would be saying it only rabbinically. How the Gemara exactly knows that is not clear. There's a huge total thing that figures this out. We're not going to get into it. Okay, but it's only saying it rabbinically. Everybody agrees, exerts the Gemara, that there's no Me'ila biblically, and even before the mitzvah is done, Minani'ili, where do you get this from? Amar Re'ula, Amar Krav, the verse says, Lachem, it says, I have given it for you on the altar to atone. It's for you. So again, the idea of Mi'ila should be pointed out. There are parts of the Korbanos that there's no Mi'ila. Only the part that is considered Kadshei Hashem. So what's Kadshei Hashem? So for example, it has to be something that all goes to God. So by a Shlomim, the meat of a Shlomim, there's no Mi'ila. You eat it. The only part of a Shlomim, even before the Korban is shechted and the blood is sprinkled, since eventually you're going to get a part of it, there's no Me'ila. Not, the only part of a Shlomim that there's Me'ila is the, is the Chelev and the, and the um, Emurim after the blood has been sprinkled. Because only after the blood has been sprinkled, now the Chelev and the Emurim are cut to Hashem and fit to be put on the altar. Okay, whereas opposed to the thing like an Ola, you know, everything obviously would be Kadshe Hashem. The reason I point that out is it's not enough to be Kadosh, it has to be considered fully to God. 
So you would think, what's more fully to God than the blood? The blood is the blessed Alam That's primarily what's offered to God. And here again, this is quite you know, shocking and, and, and ironic, but, you know, to say, you know, what the Torah sort of says, it, 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 if you think about it, the Torah says, right, you put, you burn the, the stuff, the stuff on the altar, it says, that's Reach Nichoah, that's Lechem Ishai, that's like my, my sustenance, obviously it's very anthropomorphic, but nevertheless, it's a sense of, that's God, what we're burning up on the altar. The blood atones, but the Torah, as far as I, I mean, I didn't check, but as far as I can think, the Torah never says the blood is given to God. The blood is put on the altar to effect atonement. The fast and the limbs are given to God. Lechem Ishai, they're my sustenance, they're my reach nichach. The blood is what you put on to effect atonement. And the Gemara shockingly is saying that therefore, although this is what's effecting atonement, it's not, it's, it's lachem, it's not lahashem. And therefore, it actually, there's no me'ila by it. Yes. I, I'm reading this very literally. Okay. I, I don't even think it's about ownership. It's <coughs> what the Gemara says. It says, Lachem means shelachem. It's your blood. Oh. Your blood. It represents your own it's blood. Vicari- it's right. vicarious. It's vicarious. Moment. You have to feel it as if it's your blood. Okay. That's nice. I will tell you that other places where the Gemara says Shalachem Yehei is used in a technical sense to mean ownership, but I, I accept that, that. That, that reading in this context. Okay. The Bey Rebbe Shimon Kana and the Hatzor Rebbe Shimon we teach Lechaper. I've given it to you on the altar to atone. Lechaper Nesati. I've given it to you to, it should be effective to help you atone. I'm not giving it to you that it should cause you to sin. That it should be a me'ila problem. Again, it seems to be the same point, though. It's there to help you. It's not something that is primarily mine that's off-limits to you. Rabbi Yohan Omar Amakra, the verse says, who? It says, ki adam, who? The blood is that through which, you know, that represents the soul through which achieves atonement. Who? Who retains the same state? The same way after it atoned and effected atonement, there's no mi'ilah because it's done the mitzvah. Before atonement, also no mi'ilah. Ma'ilah acha kapara ain't bo mi'ilah. The same way afterwards there won't be mi'ilah. After we think about ain't bo mi'ilah, similarly beforehand. Right, so Tosafat. So more after actually. The ain't acha kapara kalisnei kapara. Why not say the opposite? Ma lisnei kapara yesh bo mi'ilah. The same way before atonement there is mi'ilah, which we normally assume by things. Even afterwards, there's, there's mi'ila. Maybe there's always mi'ila by blood, which I think would have been more, more our intuition than the opposite. So the Gemara says, No, there's nothing once the mitzvah is done, there's still mi'ila. And since the mitzvah is done here by the blood, do we know there's not going to be mi'ila? Once that's true, we'll say there's no mi'ila even beforehand as well. So Tosus asks, why don't we say So you know But that's what some of these big toasts and he actually says no actually there there are some exceptions there are some cases that even before the mitzvah is done there's no mi'ila so we can accept that exception and we can say before mi'ila no but we cannot accept for the possibility I mean before, before kapara no but we cannot accept for the possibility that once it's been effective there should still be mi'ila so since there's no mi'ila after there's no mi'ila before either now I should just say this isn't a general rule. It's still unique by blood. By the limbs of the korbanon and the fat, 
once they're burnt on the altar, there's no me'ilah, the mitzvah's done. But before they're burnt, there is me'ilah. So it's not a general rule after, like before. Still, blood still remains the exception. So the other answers I find a little bit more interesting in sort of telling you the reason. It's yours. It's there to be effective for you. As I was saying also, not only am I giving it to you, so I'm giving you latitude, but it's not fundamentally something offered to God. It's done, it affects kapara, but it's not a thing that is offered to God. It's not a reyach nikoah to God. Whereas this doesn't really give the reason. Just as from a pasuk we learn, the same way afterwards, no mi'ila, before no mi'ila as well. Let's just read one more line. Below, is that really true? There's nothing after you're done with it that there's no mi'ila? How about removing the ashes from the altar? Right, remember Trumas Hadashim? That took up a lot of our time. So isn't that after you're done with it? Remember what it says. You place the ashes by the base of the altar, and we say you can't derive any benefit. So after you're done, there's still a prohibition. Now, just because you can't derive benefits doesn't mean there's a me'ilah, right? If you take a look at Rashi, right? Rashi <coughs> says, <coughs> look at the Rashi, the last Rashi on Nuntetamadbet. Place it by the altar. This again, this is the ritual thing that was done every morning. It's not the, it's not the cleaning that you would do on a periodic basis. It's the ritual thing every morning. You place it at the base of the altar. You have to bury it. You can't derive benefit. Presumably, the reason you can't derive benefit derives from its Kedusha. So therefore, that is a siman, that's an indicator that it hasn't lost its kedusha and mi'ilanami ispeh. So Rashi tries to make an inference, since there's still a prohibition of benefit, it must be the kedusha remains, and it must be there's mi'ilah. This huge tosos <laughs> basically says that the Gemara doesn't really mean it when it says there's mi'ilah by Tumas Hadassah. There's only, there's an iser hanah, there's not mi'ilah. But even so, the Gemara is still saying we have things that after the mitzvah are done still remain problematic. Maybe not Ewa still remain problematic and that still should tell us that it should be possible that blood could also be Mi'ila afterwards. Okay, so Truma Vedeshen is something that certainly remains usher after the mitzvah, maybe even Mi'ila, and why can't we say the same by blood? So the Gemara says, and we'll just read the answer and we'll continue with this tomorrow, because there are two exceptions and there's to this rule not only the mitzvah is done it remains forbidden you know what else the mitzvah is done remains forbidden big day kuna which big day kuna it says leave them there leave them there means you can't use them for anything else afterwards even though the mitzvah is done they can't be used for anything else afterwards they're asr behana Rashi would say they're also asr b'mi'ila but the point is you have two things and the mitzvah is done and they remain asr behana maybe even asr b'mi'ila so once you have two exceptions then it means that, that those are the only exceptions when you have shneik sumaban kechat ein melantin and the thought behind this is the following if it said it in one place you would say it's the rule but if it has to say it in two places, clearly if you have to say it in two places, what you're doing is you're pointing out the exceptions. The rule is the opposite, and you're going to point out the exceptions. So the Tumas Adetan and Bikte Kuna are two cases where even though the mitzvah is done, that you can still not get Hanah, but the rule is everything else remain, it will become permissible. So by the blood, we assume it's permissible after you're done. And if it's permissible after you're done, it's going to be also no mi'ilah even before the mitzvah is done. Except, so we will, except possibly rabbinically. So for more of this, come back to